Spin Run, the RPG talk show podcast. Welcome back to Drink Spin Run, the RPG talk show podcast. My name is Adam Miskevich, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Mr. Don Stroud. Howdy, Don. Hello, Adam Miskevich, and guests, and people out there listening or watching. So uh, today, we have some excellent panelists, as always, but extra special today. Uh, we have Mr. Alex Mayo. Alex, hey. how's it going? It's going awesome. How are you? I'm doing so good. How's that mac and cheese treating you? Oh, dude, it is amazing. I only had like three bites, but I, it's it's calling to me. So, <laughs> is, 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 is mac and cheese and steak? Is it like yeah, all together, or is it like separate? Oh, it's all just like one big pile. It's like a bunch of steak and mac and cheese. Oh so. man, that's like extra special. I'm so oh. I'm jealous, man. <laughs> I had like I don't know, like DiGiorno pizza for dinner or some shit. Like, well, I'll tell you what. If you guys give me your addresses, I'll save you each a bite and uh, UPS it to you tomorrow. Oh, that's great. That'll be wonderful by the time it gets here. It'll be perfectly <laughs> aged. It'll be perfectly right. <laughs> It'll be ripened. It's like, like the one thing most people know about Ann Arbor, Michigan, other which is like Ypsilanti's, you know, right. uh, diseased. Uh, Siamese twin. That's not how Ann Arbor sees it. But uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, guys, uh, the one thing that people know about them, other than the University of Michigan, is this place called Zingerman's because yeah. uh, Dave Letterman's a big fan. Yeah, I like and uh, Zingerman's has these amazing steaks because they're aged, mm-hmm. and they like actually like hang them in this place where they like the 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 like the whole side of beef ages. And they know that it's right when the the right the mold on the outside looks the right color. Oh wow! And just cut that part <laughs> off, cook it up, and it's fucking delicious, man. Yes. Wow! So yeah. good to know. Cheap and cheap and affordable too. No, no it is neither one of those. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> it's like I like my twelve dollar pastrami sandwich. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how much it'll go for there. Uh, that's actually pretty cheap for pastrami over there. Mentioning the price of uh, of uh, meats at Zingerman's is uh, Mr. Chris Kutalik of the Hydra Cooperative hit hill, and Hill Cantons. Uh, yeah. Welcome back, I guess I can say now. Well, <laughs> right. Welcome back, Chris. How you doing? I'm splendid. i got to ask you a question um, that I, I meant to ask in the first go-round, and I think I've actually already asked you this before, but I'm just kind of I'm, I'm blanking. Um, the last name, Katalik, am I saying it correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what's you know, the like term? My, what's the you know, like, what's that? Check. What's, check. Ah, beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I thought it might be. I thought that, that made sense. You said you were right. originally from Texas, right? Right. So that oh, yeah. Sense. Yeah. Got yeah, it. I look at that big check belt that's like in central Texas. Yeah, yeah they don't let poles move down there. <laughs> yeah, they have a little town there. It's you know they've got a nice church, but uh, you know. So and Chris, you all, um, big thing that you did recently was a slumbering Ursine Dunes, which clearly, I mean, the name alone is a is a Michigan call out right there. Oh yeah, yeah, so, oh, yeah. Uh, the whole thing is like straight from uh, near Empire, the best fucking name for a small town ever. Yeah. Empire. It's a stoplight <laughs> for those keeping track at home. There's the stoplight. That's their claim. <laughs> right. Uh, but those massive fucking dunes. Like, They're you know, amazing. That, that thing uh, is like, it's like, you, how could you not be in a fantasy place at that point? It's like these, hunt, you know, several hundred feet foot dunes. When you climb these things, it's like this, you know, like this... Oh, it's a Herculean effort. You know? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's sand. You're it's going a Sisyphean effort in a lot of and cases. And then you have like this like massive drop off to the seas, and it's like the like excuse me, for yeah. uh, But it's like this like you know it's like something that transports you to some other place, right? Yeah. So it's like when I was trying to scramble for like a little like wilderness zone, it was like the first thing that just like kind of like like a tra- freight train right flushing in my head was this place. Right. So it, so um. It's that's the whole setting of I mean Northern Michigan um, is is really near to me. Um, my mom's family is is from the Leelanau County area. In yeah. fact, both of my grandparents are buried from a hill, are buried on top of a hill that you can look down and see the the dunes from. Oh wow! So yeah, so it's that high <laughs> and it's inland in just wow. the right way that you can look down. Right. So that's that's so when when I read. You know, sleeping, slumbering or something. is like, I know this place. I grew up. You know, I grew up <laughs> right. with this. This was the summer. You know, it's like um, huge thing in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. And and so I, I know you're from Detroit, but you you clearly spent a lot of time up there, right? Right. Oh yeah, lots of time. Yeah, you know, like any Michigander, right? Who's like, you know, it's like you go up there. It's like it's like the place away too. So it's like mm-hmm. the place away from. The shit, it's Detroit in some ways, you know. It's like right. this, you know, and it's pretty like, amazing. It is so drastically different from everything else yeah. that is the state of Michigan, and it, it's just like holy shit. There's this national wonder, world wonder, like right the fuck here. Right, um, right the we fuck should be paying here. attention. Push to up it. against the lake, right? This, this is a massive thing, right? So, and I'm I'm really working on a segue to get this into the show's topic, <laughs> and I'm really I keep like trying to push <laughs> in the direction, and it's like it's not getting there. So clearly, this you know this this real very clear, very present real. world world thing for you was something that, that caused you to, or it didn't cause you to, but it, it directed you towards uh, the, the product that you put out, the Slumbering Ursine Dunes. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you wanted to do with that product, and, or with the, with the Slumbering Ursine Dunes, um, and, and where, you wanted to, where you wanted to take that, where you wanted it to take you and your players? It's, it's funny because it's like, I, like the actual product, I didn't want it to take anywhere. It's like, right, to right. me, it's, it's yeah. like a translation of what actually happened in play, right? Okay. So, uh, but the, the, the vision itself, though, was something highly personal. And I feel like good fantasy, and I wrote a couple of blog posts about this, good fantasy, I feel like, is always comes from a deep place, right? Like a place that like, hits a deep, resonant place inside your psyche. So uh, it's something that resonates in your childhood, in your, te- you know, your adulthood, or some place in your life, right? And so I feel like, like what I liked when I was thinking about it was like, you know, maybe I should publish this. Was that I felt like it was just good. Like it felt like it, hit, it was right. It's like not good isn't the right word. It's more as like it just felt true, right? In the sense that it was like it was fun. It was like, but it also hit like this kind of evocative thing in my own head. So I felt like it was like I could write and I could write well because I was like because you cared about it. Yeah. Shit, like yeah, like it mattered to me. Right, mm-hmm. and so like in some other places, I feel like they're good, but they don't have the same kind of resonance, right? So, right. so I felt like that was it, and I was like, well, I want to write this thing because it's like a snapshot of all what all these players went through and what was going on through my head, right? So, uh, and in that way, it's like I want to make, I always want to make these things, and I, and I discovered when I wanted to just kind of stumble into publishing was like, was like I only want to, I kind of want to write things that are just like kind of write close to what how it was actually done. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, well, so, so let's talk about that for a minute because, um, like, uh, for those of you 
joining, who have not listened to the first part of this conversation. Um, tonight we're talking about um, pushing boundaries in RPGs. Um, and, and I think uh, one of the reasons I, I thought about bringing Chris on for this conversation was I feel like, Chris, I feel like you do that a lot with the, the form of, of, of the content, you know, that you're not so locked into doing, presenting things in a traditional this, that, the other, you know, like we're searching the six-mile hex like we talked about in the last episode, right. you know, and this is going to be at exactly this point, blah, blah, blah. I mean, okay. you're, you're kind of the, uh, you're, 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 you're the guy that the, the point crawl is, uh, right. it, you're, you're best known for the point crawl. And so right. I think in a lot of ways you, you kind of, you switch up that balance um, and, and you attack things in a different way. Um, in, for those of you who haven't, or those you know, gorgeous listeners who haven't uh, picked it up, um, the Slumbering Ursine Dunes is very much a wilderness adventure. It is a, it, you know, in another form, it might be a hex crawl, but this is not a hex crawl. Chris, can you talk a little bit about the about how you attack that uh, wilderness adventure right. format and how you change it up? Right. So Don was talking earlier about how like he has this conceptual problem of like how the hex is like this big space, right, in a massive space. And so the dunes was one of my was started almost when I was playing with it, like designing it and thinking about it was like I wanted to think about it as like being and Courtney Campbell really caught on to this in his review was it was one hex. So the whole region, the mini region that's the point crawl itself, is is what happens in a one hex, six mile hex on the map. Right, so this entire region, right, the small, sort of, mm -hmm. I should say, the smaller region that's like less than three miles across, right, uh, is basically point crawl. So it has a number of spaces. There are, uh, uh, if you're coming up to the, the Sleeping Bear Dunes, uh, which you know, you could, you know, you know that you sort of like walk up this massive dune face. So there's like two ways you kind of walk up into the dunes, right? And after you get into the sort of dunescape when you're coming up to the dunes, it's this kind of undulating, kind of difficult terrain, and so you kind of pass through the trails through it. And so that's what a point, the, the, that's how it kind of maps to this wilderness space. In other words, rather than sort of 360-degree sort of hex crawl, you basically have, here are the various points of interest. Here's this massive golden barge that's smashed up against the dune face. Here is this glittering fucking tower right over here. Here is this centaur toll collector's camp, right? Uh, and all these things sort of are connected by, as you would say in Zork, the game, right? Like they're connected by connectors and sort of more abstracted. Uh, in other words, just to try to emphasize that those sites that you go to are a little bit more important than the actual space in between. Right? So, I don't know. That's it. That's the doom. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's like, like coming off of that, it's like... That's awesome. I don't think we need to say anything. <laughs> I mean, they're like, I want to keep talking about it, but he's like, all right, you made your point. I get it. But you know, um, clearly, it's more about the flow than um, than about like the meter. You know, um, yes. like it's yeah. how we move from point A to point B, um, right. and, and talking about like like if it were a dungeon, right? Um, yes. We'd have a hallway connecting these rooms. But uh, you know, in, in, and in most wilderness places, we just we can draw any kind of line that we want to connect them. But in 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 this the scheme that you're talking about, it's more like, you know, you're gonna take the straight line. So let's just let's skip over that part. We're not worried about the the journey. Right. We're worried about point A, point B, right? 
Right. Well, I mean, the journey is important too, and so none of the lines are linear, right? So they have multiple choices at every point. But mm-hmm. it's about like creating a, like in a dungeon, a good nonlinear dungeon still has a, a slightly less range of choices, and so the choices become more meaningful. It's like, right. do I go east? Do I go south from this door? Instead of like, do I go 360 degrees, like in a hex, right? Which is good. Right. I love hex crawls, and and I and I run them. I still run them, you know. Um, but I just run them for different kinds of games. So the different kind right. of game I want is like. If you want to, if you want to enter, if you want to emphasize um, exploration in a small space where you go to a few sites, um, then you're going to do a point crawl, right? If I want to do a a game where the the where I want the players to be incentivized to like map out every square, right? Like there's a lord who's giving them cash on the drum for going to like mapping out each each hex. Right, I'd run a hex crawl. So, mm-hmm. but a point crawl, it's a more focused space. It's more about like a dungeon, like in a dungeon where it's where it's like, uh, uh, um, you know, you have branching choices, right? So. Yeah. So, um, have you come across anybody who like seriously doesn't like the form, who uh, who thinks that what you've done, you know, like like. Is there has there been anybody who's addressed like any kind of dissonant ideas to you about this? Because uh, it seems to me like there could be like the the these wilderness adventure purists who are just like no, we got to do hexes and that's the only oh, way to go. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, a few. I mean, it's like mostly people have grappled with the ideas, and I think that's helping, right? It's like you know, hexes are good for this, hexes are good for that. You know, I feel like that's a good thing because I agree with them, tend to agree with them either. But I, I've had a few people who are. Like, well, point crawls are just good for like linear bullshit, you know. It's like, well, it's not. In other words, I gotta say, linear bullshit. Yeah, exactly, right. So that's the thing. It's like the same tactics, techniques you'd use to avoid that in a dungeon, you'd use in a point crawl. And I, I'll admit, like to my mind, when I started thinking point crawl is like. It sounds awfully railroady, and then I yeah. see how you do it, and like, oh, and okay, I get it. All right, we're good. We can move on. It uh, totally could be. I mean, you could be just like. Here's a point, and here's two points, and they come back to the same point. You yeah, know? it's like yeah. that shit, right? And make right. you know different ways <laughs> right. in, different ways out, different paths paths through. We're happy. All right, right. right. So awesome. So um, I, <laughs> that's I wanted I wanted you to be on to talk about structure and, <laughs> and stuff like right. that. Alex, um, you've uh, I wanted you on because uh, I feel like in a lot of cases your art is pushing different boundaries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we could talk about the Dong Wizard because um, it's going to come out. Uh, uh, that's for a product, isn't it? Well, this was something I wanted to do, and um, I just envisioned my mind of this wizard in a big stone throne. And originally, that the focus was going to be this long mane of hair that draped over the sides of the throne and onto the floor and stairs and everything. And mm-hmm. As I drew him, I was like, you know what, this guy looks pretty cool naked. I think I'm just gonna like, you know, leave him naked. And then I got to the corner, I was like, man, I guess I have to put a penis on this guy, don't I? Like, again, I could put a little loincloth on him, but this guy looks like he just does not give a fuck about clothes. Yeah, wizards, um, they don't so, need clothes. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, um, he, I, it wasn't the point of the thing wasn't to make him naked. It just felt appropriate. So, you know, right. what the hell. So I, I think that I think that a lot of cases, um, folks end up like inadvertently. Um, Re, or I don't want to say redefining anything because that's not what you set out to do. You just you know you you set out to make a thing, right? And or you're gonna make a thing that makes sense, that makes that's natural, and uh, you end up with something that you know 
by whatever reason, it could offend people, could, you know, like, do things in a new and unusual way that people aren't used to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you did the layout on uh, Zarkov's uh, Evil. What was it? Evil. The Price of Evil. Price of Evil. Uh, yeah. I love the, like, some of the real simple choices that were made in that. And I don't know if those were Zarkov's or yours, but, like, the, the, the use of color... And that's all Zarkov, to be honest with you. That's yeah, he, that was his art direction actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gotta say, yeah. but that like like I kept having to like go back and like figure out what the fuck is going on. Why is that in color? Because it's not explained in the front. You know, it's explained like way in the back. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, by the time I'd already read things in different colors enough times, you know, um, I've seen a lot of like I'm gonna tell you, uh, I see I've seen a lot of the stuff you've done for. Um, for obviously for Hubris, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the stuff that you've done for what's the Wild West game Mike is doing High oh, Noon, High Noon, High Noon yep. yeah, um, it's it's been a lot of fun, man. Um, I I I enjoy that it feels like you're not really um, you're you're not concerned about making things uncomfortable for people, you know. <laughs> I'm not uh, really. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't I don't go out of my way to like offend people either, though. I mean, I just do what right. comes natural to me. I mean. You know, I, I came from a background uh, where my parents were very well-meaning, but um, to some degree had zero interest whatsoever in curtailing what I watched or read or saw or anything, you know? All right, there you um, go. My mom was a beatnik and an artist, and my dad just, I don't think, really just really gave a shit. So, I mean, you know, uh, the story I always tell people that I find amusing is that, um, you know, my parents split when I was nine, so the primary way that I interacted with my father is he would take me to movies all the time, and... Um, a very memorable memorable uh, moment in my youth was my dad taking me to see Werner Herzog's Nosferatu when I was nine years old. Um, well, and the the the, th- the capstone to that story is that the theater that he took me to was actually inside of a Playboy club uh, downtown Cincinnati. So, <laughs> all right, really well, thought nothing of taking me to see that uh, experience. So, um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of weird shit when I was a kid. My mom used to put like eerie and creepy and stuff that was worn publications mags. Mm-hmm. She used to put those in my Easter basket because she knew that I didn't give a shit about Jesus. Uh, but I love monsters. <laughs> um, you know, or, well, the Easter bunny, I guess, really. There's nothing Jesus-y about Easter. But, I mean, um, you know, she... she you know. <laughs> Other than... <laughs> Other than... <laughs> well, I mean, insofar as the expression for, like, yeah, not yeah. Of rabbits and shit's concerned, you know. Yeah. Um, so she supplanted all that crap with, you know, monster spiders and, you know, horror magazines and stuff. And so... Um, yeah, you know, I just I was just inundated with that stuff when I was a kid, and um, you know, it didn't turn me into some horrible person. So I don't really feel any particular burning desire to censor myself when I create art myself. You know, I just do whatever I do, and some people are gonna like it, and some people aren't. I just kind of figured, well, you know, that's how it is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's awesome. That uh, I I don't know I. Kind of lost my train of thought. So, no, it's okay. uh, Don, Don, how are you doing with this? You've been quiet this whole time. You had yourself muted. I saw that. Did I? I don't know. Am I still? No, not now. Oh, you're yeah. just so quiet over there. You might as well have had yourself. Oh muted. yeah. Um, I'm just soaking it all in and uh, wishing that I had uh, read my slubbering Ursine Dunes that I got in some kind <laughs> of uh, what the fuck was, was it? That in? last uh. Bundle yeah. holding, yeah. yeah, bundle of shit. Yeah. yeah, bundle holding. I always, you know, buy the interesting <laughs> ones, and then I never look at shit. I always buy the super <laughs> boring ones because I, you know, I figure you know, nobody cares about that shit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so, 
Don, what do you got for these guys? You got anything before I, you know, because I don't want to monopolize the whole time by talking to these guys about right, the shit no. I want to talk to them about. No. Right. Man, I'm just happy to be here and have them. <laughs> I'm really sick of that answer. He did have a good conversation about Moorcock earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all on I'm there. Just, I'm just going to soak up all the Moorcock. <laughs> No, it's because I just love, like, listening to people talk about shit, and I'm just, like, I just get into it. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, I'm a fucking Our whole uh, whole first season of the show was basically me talking to guests because Don just got too into listening to the show that he was (laughs) helping present. Yeah, Uh, he's been a lot better this season, but this episode sounds like he's getting more into it. Yeah, I'm just, like, soaking it up, man. Well, Um, if I I can make a point really quickly, actually. I love it. Thanks, um... One of the things um, that um, I love about the OSR in particular, and one of the things that I, well, one of the reasons I gravitate towards it in terms of like the work that I do, is the fact that, um, in as much as people talk about the OSR from a mechanics standpoint, I think that one thing that people um, fail to recognize, at least from my standpoint, is the fact that um, the OSR is a, an aesthetic movement, any every bit as much as it is a, um, a game mechanics movement. Yes. And um, you know, as a person who does illustrations and, and layout work, um, right. one, you know. It, it seems to have provided a comfortable home for me that I that I'm after. Um, I do love the mechanics of it, of course. I mean, I, I grew up playing um, the older editions of D and D and stuff, and there there is a sort of like um, um, I don't want to use the N word uh, nostalgia, but I mean there is a the, you know that, but you know it's the worst N words. I know. <laughs> um, oh, but it yeah. does it, it does it does very much um, have a draw for me in that respect. But um, over and above that. Um, it, it also, when I look at the stuff that's being put out by the OSR, I, I do feel a sort of um, commonality of interest when it comes to the kind of um, aesthetic spin that everybody puts on that stuff. You know, I mean, everybody sort of seems to be sort of coming from that same place. They, everybody seems to have been steeped in that sort of um, 70s milieu of like um, really cheesy fantasy van art and heavy metal and, right. you know, Ralph Bakshi cartoons. And, you know right. what I mean? And then like, also, like, how that stuff like... synthesizes with other things that you might also be into. Right. And, like, how that can overlap with yeah. other other interests. Right. Uh, Stacey Delorfano, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was last week, she, uh, she was like, what is going on? There's, like, two different camps in the OSR. Because it's not, I mean... I, I that's the part of the OSR I love, right? Is the uh, is the, mm-hmm. the the part of the OSR that's always coming out with new stuff. And um, I guess the, the the shorthand that we all use is DIY for that, or that so many people have used. I guess not we all, but a lot of fo- that a lot of folks have used for that's the DIY portion of the OSR, right? The folks who are yeah. making things and who are you know innovating and coming out with new stuff. Um, and and Stacy made the point that there's also the other side. <laughs> there's the the folks you know who. Um, who aren't innovating, you know, and who are just recycling. Yeah. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with, with that, right? But um, it, it's, it, I, I guess she, she, was, she was coming at it from a, we, we need to, she, she wants a way to differentiate between these things. So the folks who are making new stuff, you know, can say, hey, look, we're the people who are making stuff, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily, you know, that that's needed, um, but uh, it, it's, it, that was another, like, very minor dust-up, because I think some people were offended at being said that they aren't innovating or anything, right. uh, which, of course, leads into the yeah. other thing from last week, which is where is the innovation in the OSR, right? Uh, yeah. I think we all saw that, and that's yeah. I find that to be a little bit of a strange discussion to some degree because I mean, yeah. um, everybody seems 
Now, don't get me wrong. I love innovation. I think that there's definitely a place for it, and you don't want things to be stagnant. But on the other hand, I also think that I that um, game design solely for the purpose of innovation, I don't think is necessarily where we yeah. want to be either. I mean, right. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a thing that you like that you know mirrors other things that have already been done. I mean, I, I think that sure. um, there's there's nothing perfectly wrong with that. Uh, or I said there's nothing wrong with that. I I think that this idea that um, game design has to be about innovation is sort of also kind of wrongheaded, you know. Um, I think there just needs to be a balance there. I think people that are pushing for one or the other hardcore on either side tend to miss the real point, which is that there are some games that are going to innovate, and there are going to be some that don't, and that's just the way it is. Well, and I, I think that as 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 well that I think the point was made a lot last week that it's it's less about you know you're not you're not going to see rules innovation that often in the OSR, right? I mean, it's just it's it you know we man, managed to reach a certain set. Of rules, you know, somewhere in the '80s, mm-hmm. it all just kind of like, okay, this is good enough. We're gonna use this, right? Um, we might make a change here, flip that switch, <laughs> turn this thing over, put it sure. on its side. All right, that's fine. But right. it's it's the the innovation isn't on the mechanic side. It's more on the, uh, you know, in <laughs> in yeah. the, the the creative yeah. effort side, right? Yeah. Like yeah. like. Um, Chris is messing with the format of things. Zarkov also messes with the format of things. Like, yeah, let's right. let's let's mix things and these things up because uh, there's so many of us who realize like we can't keep doing the same thing all mm-hmm. of the time. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex, I mean, you know, you could you could have not drawn a dong wizard. <laughs> you know, you know, you could have played it safe, and you know, and but that's not that's not that wasn't you know. Right for you, you know. You have you have to keep things moving. I mean, you you can't keep doing the same thing all the time, which I think is the big, the, why that criticism was being levied against the OSR, right? Is that it can't be innovative because, uh, like they reached their rule set in the '80s. So you know, without innovative rules, where can there be innovation? And I, I, I the the whole reason I wanted to assemble this this crew to talk about this is to show that these are people who are. Inventing things, who are like like pushing those those boundaries in new directions, you know. But it, I don't know. It's funny because it is really kind of a dramatic okay. detention between thing being creative, and new ideas in some ways. But it's also like the other tension is that you know that they're, they're, they're they kind of already have the rules we need. Is how I feel about it. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. that's you know having I hadn't played I put away D and D for a long time. Right, and then I came yeah. back to it in about 2008, right? And I started playing in a 3.5 game, and I just didn't like it. <laughs> it's just like it was too complicated. It was too much. You know, I felt like, you know, but it was. But there are all these things that just didn't produce what I wanted to. It was fine, too. It wasn't the worst. But it was like, well, I don't know. The, you know I, when I was thinking about running my own game, it was like, why don't I just use the old rules I like? Because those things... Those things had enough of what I needed to do in a form-wise, right? Yeah. Like the mechanics-wise, right? So I like I I don't want to think about it. I just want to put it back there, right? I do want to think about it. There are, there are interesting things to think about it, like if you look under the hood. But it's like I want right. I kind of want to put it under the hood, and then I want to, you know, get out my car, right? You know, I want to like custom paint the sides of it. I want to, you know, what I mean, like you want, like I want that the other pieces of it to be where I'm creative. Another part to be where I just don't kind of think about that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of what lets you focus on innovating is because oh, you have this all set. It's like an anchor. You know, you can right. like, you can jump off from there. You don't you don't need to mess with the rules. They're great. They're fine. Uh, right. You can, yeah, you can do your other stuff. 
Well, right. If it's not, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and I'll figure out that piece right yeah. later. Yeah. And I, I always do. I always like kind of you know finagle, and I'm like, oh, maybe that shit's fine. Right. Well, this yeah. is this is actually getting to kind of one of the questions that that's popped up in the in the question and answer on the side, and um, it's uh, Dan Domi uh, asks. Uh, so, um, or is there a difference between pushing the boundaries of game design versus the pushing the boundaries of the game you're running? Um, and I I, um, I think that in some ways, uh, what Chris was just saying is that. I think almost that the pushing the, the 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 boundaries of a thing you're running is more rewarding, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we've already got, you know, in a lot of cases we've got a system that we're we know we're comfortable with. You know, it it worked well for us at one point, so why not? Why wouldn't it work well for us again? Um, and and that the the running of the game is where you know uh, we can really accomplish new things, mm -hmm. right? Rather than yeah. and I I really feel like. Like kind of dumb in the use of like so many of the same terms over and over again. I don't want to keep saying innovation, pushing boundaries, blah blah blah. Like oh, breaking things down, blah blah blah. Doing new things is good in and of itself because doing new things. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, um, for me personally, uh, I I want to do new things because I haven't done them yet. Not right. so much because there's a good, there's a, an intrinsic goodness in doing things that no one else has done before. So much as it is, it's something I haven't done before. Um, because at that point, um, I'm always learning new things that are that's going to make me a better DM. That's going to make my game run better. That's going to make everything that that when I make new things, you know, it's going to make make those things better. So I guess uh, from my point of view, in the games I run, and uh, you know, I'm always trying to break down um, something that's hold that might be holding me back if that's the way I, you know, if that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there's like this weird. Okay, this is a thought I've had for a while. I've never articulated it. I'm so excited. I want to really, hear it. I'm really sorry, everyone who's listening right now, for my first articulation. But you keep on saying, like, my game, Adam. And I mm -hmm. think that's, like, what a lot of people have. They have their game. And I kind of sometimes regret, like, you know putting tendrils out into the OSR world and, you know, getting other systems because some of it feels like I've taken the, like, my own focus off of my game. Like how, you know, I was just using AD&D uh, first edition rules and, yeah, my push was I have these rules, but I want to do this, you know. I want to I do this with the characters. I want to do this. And you kind of, like, have your game, it can be any system, but you kind of like, I mean, it's like Legos, you kind of like take this from, you know, this system, take this, and I mean, I think like a, a real, a real GM or DM, you know, they spend so much time assembling their game, mm -hmm. um, and then my thought just fizzled away. <laughs> Thank you. Do you feel like, do you feel like... You, your your attention isn't well spent to create a game for yourself, Don? Um, I personally feel like, and this was, oh, uh, was it Chadwick? Uh, one of our fans, listeners, does this ring a bell? DM? DJ. DW, DJ. DJ yeah. Um, and even Alex. Uh, hey, you're on the show. Even Alex, <laughs> like they were talking about, like, Selling off some of their stuff, or like a lot of their stuff, oh. except for the stuff that they really want, and I'm like, I need to do that because I have so much stuff that I want to read, 
that I spend too much time thinking about, oh, what, sh- what should I read next? As far mm-hmm. as, like, game design um, or game... So you get, like, an analysis paralysis kind of thing with that? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's and so I, much information, you just don't know what to do with it? Yeah, and personally, I feel like I did so much more innovation in my own game when I just had this thing I was focused on, and, like, hey, I'm already... Like I said before, like it's an it's an anchor, and you can you're like, oh, what if we did this with these rules? What if we did this? Right. Because you don't have to like sit and think about, oh, I wonder what this game did with this. I mean, yeah, it's right. good to always be reading and searching, um, but maybe it's kind of bad because it affects your game. Well, you know, it affects, go for it. Uh, you're you're gonna say. In 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 as far as the question's concerned, with regards to like innovation in this, I guess in the in the space as a whole, as opposed to like at your table, you know, um, one of the things I notice amongst the OSR is a um, is a very um, um, high degree of interest in sharing the knowledge that you learned at the table, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, the thing that I find fascinating about it is that people in the OSR will like do a thing and they'll find another way of doing something or whatever, just innovate in some small way at their table, then they'll blog about it and then. Fa- you know it, like 30 other people are doing it. Right. You know, if anything, that's kind of where the innovation of the OSR comes from. It's almost like a hive mind, you know. It's, I think that's where people right. don't understand is the fact that, you know, the OSR, in as much as it's a sort of um, hard to describe as a scene, so to speak, um, there is a sort of loose network of people who are constantly churning over ideas and trying to figure out new, how to do things in a new and different way. Um, and so if we're speaking of an innovation, you know, what we're talking about is not only the discovery of new knowledge or procedures, but how you distribute the, the scene as a whole, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's, so, it's as much of an incubation as it is an innovation because, you know, you get so yeah. many people doing, the, like, uh, the same thing within a, you know, a, a quick amount of, like, a very swift amount of iterations of the same thing, incubating the idea, mm-hmm. improving it, bringing it back to, you know, the community again. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think in that sense it's highly innovative because what you end up seeing is a lot of products that surface as a direct inspiration from the stuff that some guy was doing at his table, you know, three months ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, stuff like that. And I, I think it's highly innovative in that sense, and I think that that, oh, I think, yeah. you know, you know, I think that was kind of overlooked in that whole discussion. I agree. Well, I think, I, I do think somebody mentioned the community is the, 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 the core driver of innovation, but I, 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 I can't remember who it was, and it was one of those voices that came yeah. in and then it was it James Ratchy that said, I think it might have James Ratchy that said that, actually. I not, think not you're probably right, but he, wow. didn't, he didn't stick around yeah. long, because I think he got called some names. Yeah, <laughs> but it, yeah. but it is but it is true. It's like we focus on the published part of it, and and last year was a great year for the published piece of our you know our scene, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. it really is the kind of like the gaming, like that's the actual life of this whole thing. It's like the whole point, which people forget often, weirdly, in our cir- some on some circles, right? And sometimes in our circles, right, is that the actual gaming is the, like, the lifeblood of all this shit, right? So it's yeah. like... Published uh, less stuff in 2014, or 2015 than 2014 because I was more busy uh, gaming, right. you know? I was Running more busy games. actually, like, exactly. like fucking doing yeah. games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the piece. It's the driver. It's the motor, right? Yeah. And, I mean, uh, you see all the stuff that... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, like what Alex was saying, like what you're saying, the incubator, talking about, like, Seeing people's play experiences to me, that's like vital. Like I, I, I eat that up. Like yeah. reading other people's experiences, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like because it's like uh, when I can have that conversation of the game master, a game master, a player to player, right? That's like 
to me, that's that's the lifeblood of this. I mean, that's animation is and where you actually see the ideas popping, right? It's yeah. like like what parts of hex crawls don't work because it's, it's a weird format. It's like a thing that we don't really talk about as much as like these things that are kind of hard to run, right? And how it actually runs. And then when you hear something say, "Some oh, that did this, I did that," or "That didn't do this," this shit worked, didn't work. That's like to me is where the sort of you know the praxis, the pragmatic piece of all of this, where it all kind of fits together, and mm-hmm. where you actually see the ideas pop. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look what's happening in Google Plus. I mean, I yeah. always tell people if you really pay attention to what's happening in Google Plus, it's an amazing gathering of people who are creating stuff. I mean, it's 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 like a, it, it's just another just another incubator, really. You know, right. it's like people gather there to talk about their play experiences every every bit as much as they do on their blogs, and mm-hmm. you know, I see so many interesting. Things just cropping up as of people sort of playing and experience, sharing their experiences and discussing it and saying, hey, you know, I'd like to do this thing. Would you like to do it with me? Blah, blah, blah. And then before you know it, there's a, an adventure or something that's on the market six years or six months later, and it's amazing, you know? And it's like, and, and mm-hmm. it just keeps going and going. Yeah, and and I mean, you, this stuff is clearly not just... Every night. Right. You could yeah. play in a game every night and a good game every night, too. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And this stuff is clearly yeah. not just confined to, like, the OSR. I think, like, the the... the we live in a weird time. I mean, it's it's the same t- the same thing is going on in like a lot of like the story game or I I hate to use the word indie game to talk about you know uh, those guys because I want to take that word back. But um, <laughs> I uh, I you know like the story game you know component. There's a lot of folks who are doing new and innovative stuff over there. I think there's yeah. this like kind of weird artificial divide between. Um, old school and story gamer stuff just because there's personalities oh, yeah. that don't mesh on either side. It's just yeah. completely it's so dumb. Um, but because you know, Z- you know, Luke Crane and Zach S don't get along together, or, you know, like the, the you know you know what I mean. Like because these dudes can't you know, be in the same room together, like these these whole communities don't talk, and that's that's not their fault. Like I'm not blaming those guys for that thing. It's just it's actually the the followers of those guys, you know, who uh, who who create the divide. Yeah. Um, uh, we're all agreed. The mainstream of gaming is not where innovation will occur. It is not where you know they're they're going to play things safe. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you pick up anything official for fifth edition, it is not going to be you know it's not it's not going to do new things. It's going to do tried and true things that uh, that they know will that people will buy. You know, uh, and, and even even. <sighs> I hate to say, like, like Fantasy Flight, for however much effort they put into, like, coming out with a nice system, they're, that's the only place they're going to innovate. They're not going to do anything, like, drastic and, and like, they're not going to shake stuff up with Edge of the Empire or any of their, you know, Warhammer lines because they don't want to lose those properties, you know? Mm-hmm. They're they're busy designing in someone else's mainstream world, and uh, they're, they're not going to be taking chances with stuff. They're not going to be, you know, coming up with any, anything that's, that's like, actually, like, genuine or original. And I think that the, uh, I got it. I got the segue from your original, <laughs> your, your stuff at the beginning, Chris. Uh, there, there, there is this genuineness of our, our own experiences and our own experiences not just, you know, not just in real life and how we translate them into the game table from, you know, but from the game table translating from one table to another table um, and in the multiple iterations that we were talking about, the incubation cycle of the, of the, of and I really think it's not just old school gaming, I think it's pretty much people who care about gaming uh, that it'll happen in the OSR, it'll probably happen in the story game sphere as well uh, and that's fantastic, I'm glad that it does um 
these are where the uh, it, it's it's about translating the genuine human experience. Right. You know, like like this is what I'm actually thinking about to right. uh, to a, to a, a tabletop somewhere. You know, right. mm-hmm. I think I got a little bit out there. No, it's. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the boundaries, man. You pushed it right yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. I had one of my, I had one of my philosophy student moments. It was a. Uh, yeah. So. Right. That's okay. I'm, I'm usually the pretentious asshole uh, guy on the any podcast, so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. So you're, you're saying I took your job? Those. Was... Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna have to uh, yeah. use a tall step stool to. Uh... <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we at, guys? So, How yeah. are we doing? We doing good. Doing great. Uh, so okay, let's let's talk for a minute about things that we've actually seen out there that are you know pushing games in a direction that we that we like to see you know um, because I you know I could tell you a number of things that I'm interested that I, I I've enjoyed um, Alex what are some things that you've seen out there gaming wise that you know are pushing uh, like the edges of gaming in directions that you you're enjoying um, well I mean. I'm not, I'm not going to say this simply because he's paying me, but I'm, I mean, I will say that uh, I dearly love the stuff that James Raggi puts out from an, yeah. an aesthetic standpoint. Um, because I think he puts sort of the uh, um, lie to the idea that the OSR is, is stagnant. I mean, because when you look at the stuff he's putting out, not only from a mechanic standpoint, from, but from an aesthetic standpoint, there is nothing that is looking backward that he does. I mean, everything that he does is pushing boundaries on all levels. And, and um, you know, uh, nobody can look at anything that he publishes and say that it's just sheer nostalgia, you know. Well, and I think I think one of the nice things about his products is that he he makes the wise bet of betting on individual writers. You know, um, there's people yes. who he's worked with that you know, are, or even before he works with them, you know, he sees what they're capable of. Like, yes, I want you to do something for me. You know, um, you said yep. you're working on Towers Two. Uh, that was um, you know the part that wasn't written by Dave Rocky was written by friend of the show Dave, uh, uh, Joe Bittman. Um, Awesome guy, uh, you know we've we've mm-hmm. we've been we've been pals with uh, Job for years, um, and I, yeah, I love the way that guy writes. I love what he's doing. I love mm-hmm. that uh, that Raji's taking that chance on him. You know, uh, same thing with Zarkov, right? I mean, we've seen stuff that he's done. Yep. Um, the fact that that you know, I don't want to say that he's le- that Raji like legitimizes the risk that these guys take, but. Raji's risk on these guys, I think, makes sense because of the risks these other guys take. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he knows exactly what he's getting into when he gets uh, when he hires anybody to do anything. Basically, I mean, he's, you know, I, I think he's well aware of, um, you know, uh, who he's putting in positions of, of um, authority when it comes to art and layout and writing and the whole nine yards. You know, I don't think that um, he works with anybody that he doesn't think is going to uh, help him push what he's exactly what he wants. I mean. Right. Having worked with the guy, I know that he's incredibly detail-oriented. I mean, there's nothing that gets past him. So, you know, nothing that you see that gets put out by Lamentations of the Frame Princess has not been in, touched in some way by James, and I think that he deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, you know, when you look at those books, I think each and every single one of them is a piece of art. I mean, from cover to cover, and I just, you know, I just really, really love what he does. I think it's just just fantastic stuff. Um, you know, and, and i got to say it, too, like Towers 2, when that thing comes out, people are going to, I think their minds are going to be blown, not only from a... From an art standpoint, but I mean, um, the content of it's just amazing too, and then it pushes boundaries both on a content and 
um, uh, you know, um, uh, visual level. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know for a fact that at least two people re- requested to have their names taken off the book. The people who play tested it because of the, <laughs> the content. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, right. we'll we'll see how that ends up. But I mean, <laughs> you know, and realistically, there's nothing in there that's worse than anything you'd find in a typical Guar album. Um, but you know, you don't people, often see all that stuff in uh, in, <laughs> in, the, in the gaming universe. Yeah. No, you, well. You don't, which seems like a weird divide to me. I don't understand why that should be any different, but I guess some people do. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Awesome. That's yes. Great. What about you? What about uh, is there any stuff that uh, that you're uh, that you've really looked to in the in, in the, the gaming? Jeez. <laughs> uh, I hate to say, uh, say because it's really where my head is, but it is where my head is, and and. It's self-interested to say it, but yes, there were like... Um, I, mean, I, I little... would also say that if you have a publisher on and don't expect them to pimp their own stuff, yeah. you're you're kind of got your head up your ass, so right. that's fine. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> a, a bit, probably a lot more anarchic than Lamentations in that way, you know, than a multi-headed as Star One, but um, it's like we got fucking Jason Schultz like pumping out our... Just saw his, you know, read his manuscript for Operation Unfathomable, and this thing is, it just, it just did, it, it's like it hits every bone. It's like, you know, it's like even, like I, I wanted to be when we were sort of getting into doing this. It's like I want to put out the games that I want to run. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where I want to, and and that's that's kind of that's the the metric, right? So, so we have that in one hand. It's like, and it's and it's just like hitting everything for me. Like the art's good. Like the, it's just everything he does is just like got that mythic underworld kind of uh, ethos, and it's funny, you know, and funny and and not in a, in a belabored way, and I like that. It's just a good, tonally excellent, right? And I think it's going to be one of the best things. His his writing always strikes me as kind of like, as you say, funny and not in a it's, like a like a funny haha, you know, kind of way. And <laughs> yes, Gonzo, it's Gonzo, but understated Gonzo, and like. It's Mythic Underworld Douglas Adams is what I think of, you know? And yeah. That's, that that and feels just, right. That feels good. It's just so good. It's just, and like, every, you know, it's like, and he's so, he's so, like, self-deprecating, you know? It's like, I'm telling you, dude, this is good. This is very good. Mm-hmm. So it's very good. So we're also doing the sequel to uh, Deep Carbon Observatory by uh, Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. and, and uh, Scrap, uh, which is Broken Fire Regime. And I've, read it and it's fucking good it's just good <laughs> it's like it's got it's like um not gonna spoil it uh and i don't want to kind of you know rain on what they're doing but it is it is uh, outstanding like it's yeah. it's it's as every bit as good as dcf and maybe better mm. um uh and they've got a shit ton Setting of the bar high man <laughs> <laughs> know, right? and it's like you know trey's doing his stuff he's putting out we're putting out strange stars osr and there's just like all the people around me too, and and, and I don't want to just have hit on Hydra. I mean, it really is like the plague feels good again. You know, it's like I felt like we might have slumped a little bit while we're in sort of a beginning where our publishing was our ramp up, but I feel like I'm seeing a lot more games out there. On you know, it's like and I I, I can't go to all the games that, that people invite me to, and I want to like desperately, and I feel like shitty because I can't play in all those games. And to me, that's exactly. life. And like yeah, when you it, see all those games start piling up again, it reminds me of the first year that we were doing Constacon and Flail yeah. Snails, where it was just like shit tons of games, like all these games. Like, and I was like, went from running a game once a month to being in a game 
what, two, one, two, three, four times a week even. You know what I mean? And that, to me, that's where it's vital, the vital core of what we're or kind of scene, right? Or if you could call it a scene. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. Right? So, no, I, I agree. I definitely have seen an upswing in the number of available games, the number of games I've gotten invited to. <laughs> you right. know, there was yeah. like like around 2012, there's like games every freaking minute, right? Like, <laughs> like it was mm-hmm. all the time. You, know, all, uh, you could post a thing in the flail snails, you know, yeah. flail snails hashtag and get a game 20 minutes later. Six people you don't what? know at all from yeah. all of the world. Where did that go? But, uh, you know, yeah. it's starting to come back, it feels like. You know, it feels like there's yes. a couple of people who just got a little burned out, and now we're, yeah. we're starting to get our heads screwed on straight, getting more in the game again. And I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, Don. What about you? Yes, Adam. You. you. <laughs> what, what, in it, what, what boundary-pushing stuff is Don Stroud enjoying? Um, I feel like I am going to just say what... Uh, Alex said, but I have specific examples of some of the stuff that I really enjoyed from um, Raji. Let's see. I love it. Uh, Give it yeah. to me. Yeah, so uh, see <laughs> Gun's mouth, right? Yeah, yeah, Gun yeah. Zarkov, right? Yeah, that oh, was... Yeah. Uh, I loved... I, I mean, the, it's just great, brilliant. Um, what was the other one? The adventure where you are informed... Are you talking about by uh, playing through it and as... Echoes? Yes. Mm. Come on. Yet again, Zarkov Kowalski. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. That's that just, like... Man. That just hit me in a spot. Oh, man. Gnomes have left nets. That's the... That's the <laughs> yeah? Hey, hey whole, Chris, you, whole... you know how I know you're Slavic? Yeah. <laughs> you pronounce a C as a T-S. That's right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Only Slavs get that shit right. All right. <laughs> but it's got this whole uh, table meeting. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Sorry, Don. Oh, no, those are those are my two things that really, uh, in the, like the last couple years, have um, have seemed like... I mean, I you know I see enough stuff. I don't see as much as people who are out there all the time on Google Plus looking and prodding and flipping over rocks and bark. But um, but those are the two things that really just like my brain just tingles. I'm like, man, this is this is innovation, or at least this is new. This is moving games is in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that and those weren't like. That wasn't, let's innovate this game design. It was like, hey, let's do something with what we already have. Let's make it exciting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw out something that uh, I've talked about on the show before, um, that I've really enjoyed the direction that it's it's helped me move my games, and it is on its own uh, a product that I think uh, moves you know games in a different direction. Um, Jason Lutz uh, did Perilous Wilds. Um, I I use it whole cl- I just take the whole thing, plop it right in the middle of my axe game. It's designed for Dungeon World. Don't need to use it. You know, like don't need to use Dungeon World with it to make it make sense. Um, it fits perfectly well in my in my Adventure Conqueror King game, and I'm not sweating anything. But uh, uh, and that's it's more of a form thing. You know, um, I enjoy things that uh, that 
because the common conception of a hex crawl is stuff like like Bad Myrmidon, right? Where you've got every hex has a thing that's there, blah blah blah, and the and uh, or <laughs> or even the point crawl again. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what I like about Perilous Wilds is that it uh, you know it kind of disassembles that and uh, you know it has the things that would be you know encountered be more of a function of the way that you're encountering them, which I think is a much more interesting way of going about it, you know. Um, so I, I've, I've enjoyed that an awful lot. Um, other than everything everybody else has mentioned, because I feel like I have to come up with something new. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there there is a little bit of the elephant in the room as well. Um, we talk about maybe something like uh, Red and Pleasant Land, mm-hmm. right? Vornheim. Um, I know that uh, that in that whole thread that happened with the... Uh, with the um, where is the innovation in the OSR? If you even mention right. Zach's name, like you got shouted down. I know, mm-hmm. like Zach pretty much got got kicked out of that thread pretty quickly, which mm-hmm. I thought was completely disingenuous because he just came up to say, "Hey, here's the shit." And you know, I'm not gonna like, uh, I you know, I'm not going to pretend that you know, like, I'm not friends with him or anything. <laughs> I've got no horse in this race, but um, those are you know really fascinatingly produced books. You know, mm-hmm. Vornheim. And, Vornheim. Why didn't I say that? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, Don. Damn, Damn it. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Vornheim Born, absolutely is one of the most innovative products. I mean, even now, uh, I think that is on shelves today. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a good long while before something that something puts that much um, innovation into that few pages um, yeah. as, as a single game product. I mean, he, Zach really knocked that thing out of the park, and you know, I, I know it's. I know that it's. It, Intimately changed the way that I play games uh, at my table. I mean, I, I never, I never run a game without that thing there. Whether whether I'm in a city or not. Well, I think I think stuff. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, I do. I think that a lot of the strength of it too is that it it translates to gameplay so well. You know, yeah. it's not some like high-minded theory thing that like oh well, cities should work like this, blah blah blah. It's like very much get into play right away. This is you know, let's mm-hmm. everything's completely practical and we can do stuff with it right away. Um, yeah. Well, it's clear that all the stuff that Zach writes is all about practicality. It's all about what he does at the table, and he's translating it as efficiently as possible to someone who would buy the product. I mean, that's mm-hmm. true for Bornheim, and that's true for Red and Pleasant Land, and I expect that to be true for anything else he puts mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. Like, the connection to play is very important. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Because it's all art, right? The writing, the art, and then the play. I mean, that's just three aspects, you know, three different parts of the art of gaming, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it does an excellent job of integrating all three of those together to create one mm-hmm. hole that you take from the shelf and immediately plunk right into your game. With you know, yeah. and he uses art as an excellent, like, essential component to you know the physical art. You know, to to bring the artistry into the game, which I think is fantastic. You know, the dust jacket has a map on the inside. Yeah. I mean, the the cover itself, you roll dice on. I mean, the whole nine yards. It's you know, there's not an inch of that book that's wasted space. Right, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, my only complaint of it is that the font's very small for my aging eyes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. like I'm, I'm often like looking at it as like, this is very small font, but that's because he's trying to pack it. You know, right. So, Get everything. But it's, al- it's also a function of the fact that James is publishing in Europe, and those are all A5 size books. You know, right. So, right. Those yeah. things. Are if that was an American project, you know, it'd be huge. Be huge, big. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Especially if it was, you know, a fe- one of your fellow Texans down there, Chris. <laughs> That's right. They make it deliberately as awkwardly large as they could. This would be 14-point font. Look at that thing. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, I want to round this thing up with quick, quick, real fast question and ask each of you. Uh, and I got to figure out exactly how to phrase it. Um, Alex, I'm going to start with you on because you're on my left as I look at the screen. I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go towards me. Um, Alex, mm-hmm. who do you, who's who's the 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 creator that you're really hyped to see what they do next? Hmm, good question. Um, you know what? Honestly, probably Zarkov uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, because I'm hoping that he'll throw me money to do whatever it is for him, and then uh, his his mind is a, is an amazing place to visit. I mean, he just does really kooky, weird shit, and. There's nothing that he puts out, uh, even the stuff that I don't work on, that I'm looking at, I'm going, man, like, that's just amazing, weird stuff. Um, like you said, he loves to, like, um, change, he loves to not take anything for granted from a mechanic right. standpoint. Right. He's always reinventing the wheel, and I think that that's really amazing. So whatever he does, um, I, I'm, I'm enthused about, and um, I just can't wait to see what he puts out next. Awesome. Yeah. Same question, Chris. Oh... That's tough. Um, maybe I'm afraid we'll Gus, all just say Zarkov, but you know. Gus Laurent. Well, Zarkov for sure, because that like he's like one of the people like I like playing next to him in any game I'm in. Yeah. You know, he's he's just a funny. Always that I always feel like the kind of like not as good of a player next to him, but <laughs> or funny as a player. But I do enjoy it. Right, it's like the same as Zach too. Um, but uh, I'd say. Gus LaRue, maybe. Like, like, I don't know. I think his stuff, um, Dungeon Science, like, I just like his stuff. Like, I just yeah. like every, you know, it's like I like how his brain works, and, of course, I, you know, know and play with them. So it's, you know, I hear it more often. But uh, like how he puts things together, you know, and I think that um, he's working on a more vanilla thing, which he calls more vanilla, but it's not really. Uh, it's more like more traditional fantasy, but uh, you know he puts out a lot of things for free. And I right. think he's very talented, and both as a writer and an artist. I mean, it's like maps are beautiful, gorgeous things too, right? So I think he puts it together well, and I think he does it on kind of a like a free, gifted amateur kind of way that I just really respect. So yeah. I always look forward to reading his things. So. It's funny that you mentioned him. I just recently just you know delved into. I mean, I've been I have you know read Dungeon of Science a bunch you know like over the years, but right. just recently I, I just went on a serious like delve through all of that you know, uh, and it's it's been really fun you know. He he, yeah. you're right. He's a really fun um, writer. Uh, like even his reviews of all the B series modules, I think that's doing the B five thing that I'm doing right now. That's how I yeah. got into it. Is uh, I was reading his review of B five. So right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd, I'd very much like to see what he comes up with next. Don, this is going to be hardest for you, I think. <laughs> no, I actually, I was sitting here, I'm like, man. First I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna say a snarky answer and say Don Stroud, because I just want to get some shit <laughs> I'd out I'd like there. you to finally come out with something, Don. I know. Yeah, be... I know. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it won't be innovative, because I like, you know... Well, maybe I don't know. I don't know ten what it's going to be. Ten by ten rooms and orcs and pies and all that. No, <laughs> ten ten by ten is not very much room. Anyway, um, and then of course Zarkov. But I'm going to say, and this is a weird answer because it's kind of already out in pieces and on his blog. But I really, I really want. I'm surprised we didn't talk about hubris because I think, um, hmm. I think the way that's set up is. Uh, 
kind of innovative and a roll your own campaign setting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's cool, and I want to see it. So I'm going to say Mike Evans. Awesome. I like that we all have different answers. I mean, I know we could all say the same guy, but uh, and I'm going to say I'm going to say uh, recently this guy produced his first actual like you know. I don't want to say for profit, but he put out into the wilds on RPG Now his first product, and it was mostly a collection of some stuff from his blog along with some new stuff. I I want to see Eric Jensen come up with the freaking Wampus Country. Yes. I want uh, like yes. like write it up as a campaign campaign setting. I want to see it. I want to know you know everything <laughs> yeah. that makes it in there. I miss reading that guy's blog. You know all the all the stuff yes. that you know he just pulled out of his ass for that game. I just. It was a huge inspiration to me when I was coming to the OSR, and I just, I, I want to see more out of him because uh, I, I just, I love what he writes. I love the, the, I, I hate whimsy, except <laughs> for his brand of whimsy. Like he's got the right brand of whimsy that that really hits me in the uh, the warm fuzzy parts of my what's left of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so. Guys, uh, I think we're all really sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe Alex. Alex is probably the only one of us who's awake. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, I think. I still have to eat my mac and cheese, so... Oh, uh, man, seriously? <laughs> I, I noticed you haven't been shoveling it in your face this whole time. But... No, no I'm in a, I'm in a, it's going into the microwave the second we stop, so... Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry to keep you from your mac and cheese this long. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, I... Um, uh, Guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you yeah. both so much for being here. Um, Alex, I'm glad you're finally able to make it on the show. No, thank uh, you. I appreciate Chris, the offer. Yeah, anytime, man. We'd love to have you back. Uh, Chris, yeah. same goes for you. We'd love to have you back. Yeah. I would seriously not tell you if I... I mean, I wouldn't say that if I didn't want you back. <laughs> but I also... I wouldn't say... If I didn't want you back, okay. I wouldn't say to one guy that really? it did. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not the best liar, so good. Uh, <laughs> save it for the game table. That's the only place I can lie well. Uh, so guys, thanks so much for being here. This was a lot of fun, yeah. and we're gonna have to do this again. Uh, My pleasure. Yeah, uh, viewers at home, gorgeous listeners, watch for what these guys are doing. It's fun stuff. They don't get involved in crap projects, at least so far as I've seen. That's actually that's what I don't want to see. <laughs> like you guys just shit on some paper and like here you go. Have fun. Uh, don't do any DMs Guild stuff, guys. But uh, Sorry. It was the same thought. I basically... Right. We all uh, just went there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Todd Stroud, thank you so much for being my uh, my gorgeous co-host. My lovely co-host. Sorry. Lovely. I don't know what I am. You're lovely. It's fine. Uh, and gorgeous listeners, gorgeous viewers, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we'll catch you next time when I'm hopefully not so sleepy because my computer didn't catch on fire. <laughs> and um, everybody have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for All being right. here. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drink Spin Run. If you like what you've heard, share us with your friends, leave us an iTunes review, or email us at dsr at kickassistan.net. You can also support us at patreon.com slash dsrcast. Our theme music was generously provided by the band Blue Snaggletooth, who you can find at bluesnaggletooth.bandcamp.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time, you gorgeous listeners. 